Welcome to What Does This Mean? A discussion of the readings that we are reading in the Lutheran Church, and many other Christians are reading these same lessons on the upcoming Sunday. And today we're going to hear a wonderful set of readings about good sheep and bad shepherds, a surprising king with an even more surprising offer of mercy. So glad you've joined us. Welcome. I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer. And I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. We are so glad that you're here to uh, explore Sunday's readings with us each week. There are three readings that are appointed for a given Sunday of the year. And this upcoming Sunday is the very last Sunday on the liturgical calendar. If you're not a uh, church calendar nerd like some of us in this podcast, you not may... Not that there's anything wrong not, with that's that. That's right. Um, you may just be thinking this is Thanksgiving time. Um, but this is actually the end of the whole cycle of readings that we've been doing for the last year. And this last Sunday has the name... Uh, the reign of Christ, and it's sort of a last celebration of the power of Jesus Christ at the end of the year, kind of marking what in the end is most important, that all of our days are marked by the love of God. And then our liturgical year will start all over again. Happy New Year. Yes. Next, the next Sunday, which will be the first Sunday in Advent, when we start all over again, even reading a new gospel. We have been welcoming wonderful guests to our podcast this season, and today we are delighted to have Jill Carl with us. Jill, so glad you're here. Thank Tell you. us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, my husband and I, we have two children, 11-year-old and a 8-year-old, and we live just in Macroveland at Gloria Day. Um, currently, I serve on the council, and um, we're both pretty active in children's ministry, especially Vacation Bible School. Both my husband and I are from uh, really small communities. And one thing by getting active at Gloria Day that has really helped us is that we've been able to make St. Paul smaller, if you can even imagine that. Um, um, we run into people now in the grocery store or at school or even walking down the street. And, and it's so nice to see familiar faces in this much larger community. So thank you for having me. So glad you're here. Let's jump into the readings. Pastor Javen, would you read the first one? I'd love to. It's from Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people. It is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. So I will attend to you for your evil doings, says the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. 
I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them, and they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The thing that struck me first about this passage was it is very strangely written. And I wondered how did prophets at this time or Jeremiah, how did he share his message? You know, it's therefore says the Lord. Um, I kind of pictured those people who are standing on crates in downtowns or at a tour spot just yelling at you. And I was just kind of first curious how would he been sharing this message with these people? That's a great question. And Jeremiah is a particularly interesting prophet because he would go around town doing crazy things. Kind of like that, standing on a box yeah. and kind of screaming at people. Yeah. I think there's one point where he walks around naked through town to kind of make the point of people being stripped bare. And he would do these kind of sign acts. There is a skeptical part of me, though, always when I'm reading various parts of scripture about, did this actually happen exactly the way it says it happened? Or is this someone writing about it to tell the story a certain way? Was this even written at the time Jeremiah supposedly was doing all these things, or was it written later by someone as if it was Jeremiah writing? And there's, you know, and a lot of those questions are kind of unanswered today. So we we don't always know. We have better clarity about some some books of the Bible than others, but so there's always part of me that wonders like what's what actually happened? Did Jeremiah actually go naked through the streets and stand on boxes and... Um, well, when you think of it that way, too, um, <laughs> how did he break through the clutter? I mean, you see some of that and you're like, oh, I got to get away from, you know, someone running naked through the street screaming or something. And so how in this time would his message have, you know, made it all these many thousands of years doing all that crazy yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I actually really don't think he did have much impact at the time because when he's writing or doing all these things, he's criticizing the government's foreign policy and who they're making alliances with and says, you know, look, if you team up with these bad folks, destruction's going to come to your country. Well, they teamed up with the bad folks and destruction did Come. So in the end, nobody paid probably paid much attention to him. And he was jailed. He was thrown into a hole. He wasn't his message was not valued or heard by the powers that be at the time. But and I think someone for, must have listened. So well, and I will I've wondered is like later mm. did people say, Oh, you know, do you remember that guy, Jeremiah? He actually was right. Mm -hmm. What he was saying was right. And so people began to read those readings and pass those down from generation to generation. But I think a lot of times the prophets aren't valued in their own time, and it's a generation later that they're heard again 
um, and understood. I think it's like finding one of those leaflets or a small book that was written maybe during I don't know, the revolutionary era or the civil war and nobody really paid much attention to it. And then, you know, 40 years later or 70 years later, someone finds it in the library and says, this person was really um, forward looking and had a picture of what was happening, what was wrong with society and described it in this novel or this you know leaflet back then. Javen mentioned about kind of the skepticism. Did this happen? Who actually wrote this? And so then I really... Um, found one piece to be really confusing when Jeremiah talks about the Lord is scolding the shepherds, the leaders for scattering the flock, but then later admits that, and it's in the voice of the Lord saying this, that he also scattered the sheep. And so is there like an admission of, of his own, the Lord's own mistakes of guilt here, or what would be sort of the purpose of putting that when he's actually trying to wake up these leaders to say, you've did all this wrong, but... We said this a couple of weeks ago about Jeremiah, that he was a prophet who kind of bridged the period right before um, Judah, which was the southern part of the kingdom of Israel, right before Judah fell to the Babylonian Empire and Jerusalem was destroyed and the people were carried off into exile in Babylon. Um, so Judah sort of, or um, Jeremiah sort of bridged that period, like he was around before Jerusalem fell and afterwards. And so I think when he's when he's sort of um, condemning the shepherds here, I think what he's really he's saying like, you shepherds who have led my people have conspired with with bad actors and this is the result. Um, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed and the people are going to be scattered and and I'm not sure what to make, Jill, of when mm. when it says here where I have I driven have them. Driven them. Yeah. Unless it's maybe like I have driven them there and been with them and go with them. A lot of times the um, destruction language of Scripture is the prophets describing the natural consequences for things. So the people of of the of God, God's people were not faithful, not faithful to the commandments, not faithful to following God's ways. And guess what? The foreign powers were able to come over and, and take over here and destroy us. And guess what? We were let off into captivity. So it's as if God's saying that's the natural order of things. When there's disobedience, there are horrible consequences for all of you. Let's take a break and we'll come back with the second reading. Welcome back. Our second reading is Colossians 1, verses 11 through 20. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. So I understand that this is the end of the liturgical calendar, and it seems to have a focus on who Jesus is, what he could do. But I'll honestly say, I don't know how this is going to come across, but this passage in particular made me feel a bit uncomfortable. I understand how it could be a source of comfort to early Christians who were trying to make a go of their church and Um, This could be inspiring, but actually during the day I work in marketing and from that perspective, uh, this text to me focused on Jesus' status and his power. And in my business day-to-day world, um, when you're promoting a product or service, sometimes you only have to rely on someone's status or power to really get your product across or motivate someone to check you out. And that's not always the best case scenario. And so when um, marketing has worked the best is when I have a service or a product that has a great message, maybe Gloria Day, for example, <laughs> and a uh, mission. And that really resonates well. And what bugs me about this passage from a modern perspective is that it really focused on Jesus's status and his power versus focusing on his message, which today seems more powerful than it would have. I mean, it would have been important for early Christians, but they really needed kind of to feel more inspired to keep going with the church. And so I guess it's a difficult question, but today we're surrounded by influencers with statuses and it really starts to clog out what the real message is. And so I found it odd that that we're spending time on this passage. And I'm just wondering if there's another way to look at this, um, because it seems like it would matter more to us to focus more on the message of what Jesus was trying to teach and the actions we could take. (laughs) I think that's really interesting. And, you know, so we say in our creeds and everything, we believe God is both fully divine and fully human. And we have passages like this one maybe emphasizes more the fully divine part, like Jesus is the image of the invisible God and things like that. And then we have other passages that show a really human Jesus, right? Like walking and talking with the people and healing people. And um, that's mostly what our gospels are, are those human pictures. And even back in the very beginning in Genesis, like Genesis one portrays God, the creator up on high saying like, let there be light. And then there's light and it's good. And then Genesis two, we get another creation story where God is walking on earth and picks up some dirt and breathes into it and makes it into human beings. Um, And so you get these two drastically different images of God, like one that's kind of omnipotent and up on high. And then one who's really human almost. People find those two different images valuable in different ways at different times. And I think we're always kind of holding them 
together. I agree with you. I'm, I think, Jill, I'm more inspired often by the human portrayals of Jesus than these lofty divine ones. And I recognize there are good reasons for us to, to reflect on the divinity of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I, I think when, these, when this was written, it was probably trying to find words to capture something that felt very real to people, like in this person, in the memory of this person, Jesus, people were experiencing something of God. They were finding depth of experience, love, grace, and wanting to kind of figure out how to name that, how to describe that. Um, So I think some of this high language is actually connected to a real human experience of, wow, God is here. God's in this community that's gathered around this person Jesus. So instead of taking us away from the message, I wonder if it was trying to draw people more into that kind of grand experience of something bigger than ourselves, but somehow concrete in this Jesus person. Earlier in this fall, we um, our Friday morning group, Soul Food, read this book by Richard Rohr called The Universal Christ. And it, it, you, it refers to this passage several times. Rohr writes about Christ being the fullness of God revealed on the earth in Jesus and in everything. So he starts with this story about this mystic who um, woke up one day uh, – gobsmacked was the word, gobsmacked by everything she saw, she realized was full of the presence of God. The whole earth, every person, everything around her, she was just like on fire, this exciting vision of recognizing God is everywhere. And this language feels like it's, you know, lofty, the sense of Christ is this way up there, power, some huge thing that we can't have access to. But it ends with this verse 19, in that Christ, in that amazing up there high elevated vision of what the Christ is, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through that Christ, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, like everything gets to be included. And we want to hold up both images of Jesus. We don't want to box Jesus into he was just this, just this human born in a manger. We also want to say he was the word of God incarnate. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that phrase is sounds overly theological and hard to understand. And I think it's important that we keep pondering that and asking ourselves, what does that mean? And that we we always hold those two things together. And maybe that's a good place to move to the gospel reading, which does present a kind of more concrete picture of, the, of who Jesus really is. So let's take a little break and we'll be right back.
Our gospel reading comes from the end of Luke, chapter 23, verses 33 through 43. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leader scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This story about Jesus is so very familiar that I um, haven't really thought much beyond the fact that you know the story. Um, you know, it's not surprising that, that Jesus would forgive the criminal. I mean, he's Jesus. <laughs> and so <laughs> preparing for today... Um, my question was questions were really around timing and purpose because I'm just kind of looking at it as a story and there might be a lesson there that I just, because it's so familiar, you just haven't thought deeper about it. And so first is the obvious timing. Um, so this is to me Easter and we are still many months away. So why um, is this passage timed for now? And then purpose. Um, I did look through um, the Bible because I did have one class or two in college on theology. So I know that there were um, a few, there are four gospels and they have some different versions. And I, what I noticed is that this story is only in Luke. And so as far as purpose goes, what did this writer have? What was their intention for sharing this story? Yeah, well, to answer your first question about why read this story so far from Easter, isn't this a better Holy Week kind of story? And I think it goes to your point in our uh, in the last reading about when you start to talk about Christ in these high, lofty, royal, kingly terms, you end up recreating a kind of hierarchical understanding of the universe, you know, which the ancient world very much believed that the king was on top of everything. And I think the reason we read this on the reign of Christ Sunday, or it used to be called Christ the King Sunday, is to challenge that whole notion of how the universe is set up, that it's not this hierarchical uh, pyramid with God on top and then the worst of the worst on the bottom, but that the kingship of Jesus is understood through vulnerable, 
suffering, through compassion, through forgiveness, through the inclusion of this thief who by all rights shouldn't get to go to paradise but but gets to. Your other question about why Luke is the only one that includes this story. So all the Gospels tell that first part of the story, obviously, about the Jesus being crucified. And the, I think they all tell the casting lots for his clothing. And But the part that only Luke includes is the conversation with the two criminals, which I've always thought is so fascinating. And I love that Luke gives it to us. And I don't know the answer to why Luke does it, except I know that Luke's particular emphasis throughout the gospel seems to be sort of turning the world on its head and saying, you think power looks like this, and actually it looks 180 degrees the opposite. Um, So it starts, I think Bradley talked about this a week or two ago about um, the Magnificat. When Mary finds out she's going to give birth to Jesus, she sings a song and we sing it during Lent on Wednesday nights every week. Um, You've cast the mighty down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. And that's sort of Luke's lens throughout the entire gospel. Like every story he tells emphasizes that kind of reversal. And I wonder if that's what's happening here too, that he's telling the story to show this reversal that the the ones who should have recognized Jesus's power and his kingship don't, and they actually scoff at him. And these criminals, or this one criminal, is the one who actually does see it. Um, he's also the only one who doesn't say, if you are the king of the Jews, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He just says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Luke's story is always um, good news to the poor. You know, good. Uh, the angels came to sing to the shepherds um, on the night that Jesus was born, singing, you know, glory to God in the highest and peace to God's people on earth. Good news to all the people. And so you see that here, even, even the people that are deriding him and mocking him, Jesus says, forgive them, and then tells the criminal, you'll be with me. Yeah, I get the feeling Jesus is saying, "Don't worry, we're all we're all going to be um, reunited in in the the again that reconciling love of God." First of all, let me say thank you to Jill for being with us today. It was really great to have you here. Thank you so much thank for you. your for your questions. We're interested in hearing what all of you think about these readings or this podcast. So feel free to drop us a note at pastors at gloriadaystpaul.org. We also hope that you will rate this podcast and leave a review on whatever service you use to hear this podcast. Thank you to our assistant music director, Paul Friesen-Carper, for providing the music for us and to Marshall Saunders of Minnesota Podcasting for producing these podcasts for us. Join us for worship at Gloria Day every Sunday at either 8.15 or 10.45 a.m. with Sunday School for All Ages at 9.30. Thank you so much for joining us today. Know that God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? A podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com.